Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Marvel Standom, and we are here this week talking about Eternals. With me for all time and always, I have Den of Geek TV editors Alec Bajalid and Katie Burt. Unfortunately, Den of Geek News and Features editor Kirsten Howard has been taken by Arishem into the depths of space. Uh, Eternals is a massive, massive, true epic of a film. Coming in at over two and a half hours, sets up lots of stuff for the future of the MCU. It's kind of hard to even sum this movie up in a couple of sentences, isn't it? Uh, but basically... What we learn in this movie is that there are these giant, incomprehensible uh, beings known as Celestials that create and destroy life throughout the universe. And uh, among their creations, we have the Eternals and we have the Deviants. And uh, they have used Earth as their battleground for many, many centuries. And our uh, core cast of Eternals, it turns out, have inspired many of Earth's myths and legends. So, this is a big one for the MCU. Uh, there are a lot of concepts that are clearly going to play heavily into the future of the franchise. Uh, you know, there are characters that are introduced here who, if you follow the comics, have been uh, members of the Avengers. You know, so this is, uh, this is an important film, but I'm curious to see what everybody thought about it because this is shaping up to be a relatively divisive entry in the MCU. For context, I mean, we're recording this before this film has been released, so most of the opinions out there are critics like ourselves. I'm really curious to see what a larger audience thinks of this, because so far I think I've liked it more than most people who have seen it, but I also, I, I, there, I can recognize the flaws it has, but I think the things that it's bad at are of less importance to me than the things that are, it's good at. I think... It's not necessarily a better movie than Black Widow to me. I think they're about the same, but I think it's a more interesting movie to me. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, um, while also thinking that it had some, you know, some flaws and also was just not set up for success in terms of what it had to do and what it was asked to do within the MCU. So, I mean, the name of the show is Marvel Standom. I mean, I take my standom, I think, fairly seriously in the sense that I'm just so pot committed into this Marvel universe at this point that it's very rare that I actively don't like or don't enjoy a Marvel This is so suspenseful. With the exception. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hold on. Alec hasn't told Hold us on. how he feels about this movie yet, so this is a reveal. <laughs> um, with the exception of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I hate more than death itself. Wow. <laughs> I hate that so much. I enjoyed the experience of watching Eternals. I got stuff out that I wanted to get out of it. I'm always a sucker for the creation must turn on its creator plotline. 
Having said all that, I think it's probably technically a fairly bad movie. The Marvel machine is very efficient, and they crank these things out um, so quickly and so competently. I feel like this is the movie that whose concept was big enough that they should have taken some more time on fine-tuning the script and maybe even fine-tuning the CGI here and there. I feel like like Eternal should have been Marvel's Chinese democracy. Like they should have been talk we should have been hearing for years about how they're still working on the script and tweaking this and tweaking that and like making sure it's absolutely perfect. Uh because the final result just kind of feels like a generic Marvel movie aside from the really heady ideas it presents. Uh but those heady ideas are cool enough that I think it has merit. I I mean like this is a great plot outline that's not necessarily a good movie. I hate to be the one doing this, but I really dislike this movie. Uh, and it's a shame because it does a lot of interesting stuff. It departs from the usual MCU formula in some profound ways, not the least of which being letting Chloe Zhao like really direct an actual film, which, as much as I love the MCU... You know, most of these movies, uh, Thor Ragnarok and the Guardians films and, like, a couple others aside, he's not really the most director-driven projects out there. So I appreciate the ambition and the weird scope of the movie itself, but it doesn't hold together. These characters are not very compelling. The script is just boatloads of brutal exposition. Uh, there are some really wooden performances, um, and the movie's at its best when it's not doing superhero-scale action, because when it is, it looks terrible. Uh, the, the deviants are just this incomprehensible mess of unfinished-looking CGI, um, you know, they're barely present in the movie as antagonists to begin with. Um, and it's, it's, it's really disappointing, uh, as particularly as a fan of the original Jack Kirby source material, to see the kind of wild prog rock album cover strangeness of this concept just reduced to muddy CGI and unengaging characters and, you know, like a pretty messy and rushed third act. Um, this movie doesn't work for me and it's too bad because in a lot of ways I think Marvel does need to shake up their formula and take more chances on movies like Eternals. But this ain't the way to do it. Yeah, it feels like I mean, I like this movie a lot more than Mike did, um, but it does feel like Chloe Zhao wasn't maybe allowed to do what she wanted exactly, but, um, which is true of, you know, all directors who are working within this kind of budget and franchise. Also, it's not like a, a, like a straight MCU movie in the way that a lot of these movies are like very formulaic. So it's just somewhere in between, um, which to me is better than like maybe a competent, MCU like formulaic film but I also I, I'm curious Mike like what your expectations were going into this because I think I a didn't know a lot about the, the source material or anything or have any sort of emotional attachment to the source material I don't know I guess I'd seen like a wave of of critical response that was like lukewarm 
Um, and also the trailer didn't blow me away. So I think my, my expectations going into this were relatively low. Um, yeah, where were you at going into it? My anticipation for this project was very high, uh, primarily because I am uh, not just a Jack Kirby fan. You know, full disclosure, folks, I am a trustee of the Jack Kirby Museum and Research Center. So uh, I am a I'm a Jack Kirby evangelist. So I don't want it to sound like I'm approaching this movie from the perspective of somebody who is a comic book purist, because I'm not. Like, the reality here is the reason the MCU is so great is because of how different it is from the comics. Translating comics directly to film is a losing proposition every time. Like, the MCU is not the most successful franchise in cinematic history because it is faithful to the comics. It is because it has taken concepts from the comics and made these characters more engaging and more interesting for, you know, for a mass audience. But in the case of Eternals, this was not a superhero book. You know, this was something that Jack Kirby happened to do at Marvel in the late 70s, but was clearly not conceived as part of the Marvel Universe. It was him doing kind of like an alternate history of mankind slash creation myth using the concept of the superhero. Not necessarily his best work, but it's one of his more interesting works. And there's a scope and a sense of awe and a sense of menace and a sense of like, you can't even comprehend the Celestials in those comics. That's just completely lacking in this movie. That like just kind of instead tries to have its cake and eat it too, eat it too where you have you know, stars kind of doing their quippy MCU thing, you know, and there's some questionable morality there. There's some, you know, nods to the idea that these beings are so cosmic and so ancient that they're beyond conventional notions of good and evil. But none of that lands in the movie. None of that comes across in the script. Like, none of it comes across in the performances. Um, even the good performances, it just... It's just a missed opportunity. This, there's, there's a lot that could have been done here to make this a more interesting, frightening movie. Mm. And they just swung and missed. I hope it doesn't get too ugly, like the conversation around this movie, because I think it is interesting. I, you know, I think we maybe disagree on, on some of the flaws or strengths of this movie, but I think we actually agree on a lot of the flaws and strengths. And it's just a question of how important or not are those elements for, for individual viewers in terms of enjoying, like, if it pulls you out or not. And I don't think that's... I think, like, the problem comes in when you privilege, you know, certain kinds of, of story sensibilities or interests over others, but I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, I like this part of a movie and I want that to be done well. This franchise really started out as superheroes, as, like, kind of, like, god metaphors, but, like, still very much human. And now they're transitioning into superheroes as literal gods. And I'm just curious, like, I think that's incredibly ambitious. And also that I don't think the MCU is necessarily set up or Hollywood in general, like the big budget part of it is set up to do that. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm really curious to see the reaction to this movie. So definitely let us know in the comments below. I will say, I think the, the that godlike aspect and the retrofitting of Eternals into uh, mythological figures in human history, I think kind of works better than I thought it did. 
there are some certain things that, depending on how engaged you are with the film or not, could be cool or eye-rolly. Like the fact that Icarus is like the literal um, origination of the Icarus myth. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Athena was essentially the god of Athena. And we have a guy named Gilgamesh. Um, I think they presented that interestingly enough. To the, where the, the fact that it wasn't corny to me. And I feel like it's kind of some nice world building. And another thing, Katie, when we were doing the uh, our favorite Marvel trailers, which you can find at uh, YouTube slash Den of Geek, <laughs> <laughs> um, you had mentioned that one of your issues with uh, Civil War, Captain America Civil War, is that it starts as an ideological conflict mm-hmm. and then morphs into a personal conflict. I thought it was kind of refreshing that they let the Eternals have and maintain an ideological mm-hmm. conflict in this movie. Because ten main characters is a lot of characters. And if you are going to insist on having that many, which they didn't need mm-hmm. to, like, which comic book nerd is going to be like, oh, they left out Gilgamesh. I mean, probably oh, a comic no. book nerd. But also, like, that's okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to do that anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, if they're adamant about having the full ten, they might as well have some legitimate ideological squabbles among mm-hmm. them. Is it? It's so. It's so sh- delightfully strange mm-hmm. that one of the ten main characters of this movie just decides to peace out of the final battle. I agree completely, it and it's not treated as like, and how dare he? It's just kind of. It's like a lot of. Like, no, we respect this. Like, yeah, obviously, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I agree. Like, I was actually talking about this yesterday in one of our other meetings. You know, Civil War manages to work because we're so invested in those characters that we care so much that they're pitted against each other. And that is developed over the course of like so many films. And this movie doesn't have that foundation in terms of character that I feel like I was able to build these, like there was enough there on the page in terms of the character dynamics that I was able to either see it or like build onto that framework so that I could be emotionally invested. But obviously like it would have been great if, we had more emotional investment in these characters and in their relationships from like previous films or whatever, however they would have done it. Um, I was thinking a lot and reflecting about this movie. I'm like a lover of the montage and I'm pretty much always want just movies to have more montages because they're so efficient and I think um, can just do so much work. And I would have loved for this movie to have at least one montage that just had, you know, that maybe was focused on like the relationships or the family or whatever. Um, you know, Captain America, the first Captain America movie has a really, uses montage really well with the, like, propaganda, um, I guess, segment where we see Steve, um, you know, going out in front of all these different audiences to try to sell war bonds and see, like, how his symbol is both being used by the U.S. military, but also how different audiences, both, you know, domestically in the U.S. and then, like, on the front react to that. And also see how his character grows increasingly frustrated over that process. You know, he comes in with such enthusiasm and wanting to help and how that changes over the course. It just does so much work. Like, montages can be so efficient. And I would have loved to see that here. Like, what if, like, this movie was was more, like, narrated by Sprite? You know, like, she's this character who is a storyteller, um... So, well, yeah, I just, I just think there could have been, like, some things that they, like, actually put into the form that would have done a lot more work because this movie had such, had so much to do in, in, in like, a long runtime, but still not a long runtime. <laughs> yeah, there were things about it that interested me, and I haven't felt that about all MC, MCU movies. I just keep comparing it to Black Widow and how uninspired I was by that movie, which I think, you know, you guys liked that movie better than I did, but, and I still enjoyed it. I will stop going on. 
I will say that I thought Black Widow, its messy third act aside, was a, a, a pretty decent exploration of the idea of like Marvel as another genre, right? Like Black Widow, for much of its runtime, felt felt more like a straight action movie or you know like a like a Bond movie than a superhero movie. I'm I'm struggling to think of what Eternals is supposed to be. And thinking about um, projects that have done a good job telling a story across this kind of time span, I was thinking a lot about Good Omens, which obviously is a TV show, um, but so it has more time, but I think, <clears throat> and fewer characters. It just really has these two main characters who have, have known each other across thousands and thousands of years. Um, and I think it does a better job um, but I was thinking a lot about the third episode of Good Omens, which starts with this 30-minute chunk of just seeing these two characters interacting, interacting across history and what Eternals would have looked like if it, if it had something like that. I think the best version of Eternals could have been like a Homeric poem. <laughs> like an actual like Greek myth. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, that's what these superhero movies are supposed to be in the first place, is myth-making. Yeah. And this is literally about essentially myths. Also, this movie brings a lot to the table that just like sounds good in theory the tropes of getting the band back together creations realize that they were created by something who doesn't have their best interest at heart and now have to find uh, fight god and then also my personal favorite essentially like an alien species discovering that they really are charmed by human beings mm. to the point where that they don't want us to die the whole point of this movie is eternals realizing that humanity has merit Mm -hmm. And how many human characters are in this movie? I mean, we like I think literally two. We're introduced to Dane, and then he and he's so like charming and fun. Every time you think you might, they might take the choice of like escalating the tension in their relationship. He's just like, oh yeah, no worries. <laughs> It'll really like I think in a way that is interesting and and refreshing. But then he like disappears for most of the movie. He's replaced essentially by Kingo's valet, who is mm -hmm. essentially the representative for all humanity. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give that guy credit. He does make a compelling case that we should not be genocided. He's, he's pretty charming. But I do think like Cersei tells me that humanity should be saved. So I'm, and you know, Ajax tells me that humanity should be saved. So I'm like, I guess I'll go with this. But like, I think actually the other side is also making a very solid argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the other thing, and this is me coming off like a comics purist again. And I apologize for that because it's not, it, it's not how I approach these movies, and it's not how I approach this movie. But in the comics, Cersei's whole thing is that she is the Eternal who never stopped living amongst humanity. Mm, right? Who that's just, interesting. Who just loves humanity so much that she never left. She wanted to live with humanity, and like that's her thing. I get no impression that she even loves anything in this movie. Not Icarus, not Dane, not ice cream, not anything. Like, like I don't understand like, yeah. like, where is the joy that this character takes from humanity that she is so intent on preserving them. You get a little bit of that from Kingo, you know, but like... Even that, you know, by the end of the movie, it's like, nope, never mind. You know what I mean? And like, and any of it, yeah. like, his whole thing was like, it's been fun. Like, I've had a lot of fun being a movie star, but, you know, time to go. 
Like, I just don't understand why anybody does anything in this movie. The best job they do of that is in the beginning when she is teaching that class. Um, I think that is the closest she, you get to seeing her, like, seem to care about these people. Like, we get those flashbacks, too. I guess, is it Mesopotamia? Yeah. <laughs> um, where she's, like, farming. Um, but... I agree, I agree with you that they don't do a lot of a lot of work there, and I don't know if that if they think that's just because we are inherently on humanity's side, which yeah, I guess like I I like humanity um, for the most part. <laughs> Sometimes I think like the difference between a fundamentally good movie and just like a fundamentally bad movie, because uh, movies are temperamental beasts that don't always make sense. Mm-hmm. It just comes down to effort and attention to detail. And one of my, one of the ways I'm frustrated in this movie's lack of attention to detail is the fact that uh, all the Eternals just speak English by default. Mm-hmm. It seems like it would not have been that hard to add in an explanation that they can just speak all languages and they just default to whoever they're speaking to. But no, in the opening scene, like, they're talking English with each other on this, on this um, ship before it even lands on earth where mm. English has not been invented for millennia. Alec, I, I have to I have to stop you there because the last thing this movie needs is more exposition. Like the last <laughs> thing this movie needs is another character staring straight at the camera and explaining like the unexplainable. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but also what if they just did it? Because I did I was actually delighted by how many different accents there were. Um, in this movie and how it was just like, yeah, everyone just use your, your native English accent. Thinking back to Shang-Chi, which I loved so much and how that movie used language, which is like a very different movie and very specific in its language, but it didn't explain, you know, necessarily when someone, why someone was speaking Mandarin Chinese at a certain part or where they weren't. That just went into the world and into the characters and we were left to either interpret that and add it to our understanding of the world or not. Um, and I think I really enjoyed that um, aspect of the movie. So it's weird because <laughs> it, these characters are all, you know, they have a very diverse cast um, in so many ways, but they're not actually representative of the cultures that these characters are from because they're from this like other alien place they've been created. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I mean, I have a follow-up point to the English thing that I think will do you proud, Katie. I'm ready. Um, the cast being diverse is a huge plus because, A, I mean, like, casts of superhero films should just represent the world anyway to begin with. But, B, in a movie like this where the Eternals' job is essentially to, like, visit these primitive societies on Earth mm-hmm. and teach them to be good, uh, you could run into some really ugly colonialist thought, like, pretty mm-hmm. quickly. So I appreciate the cast being diverse for that and many other reasons. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they just, again, speak English by default yeah. still kind of adds this unwelcome colonialist twin uh, tinge to everything. Yeah. Particularly when English hasn't even been invented for millennia. Like, English wasn't invented till like, what, like 1200 or something? I mean, I think I've been, like, conditioned by Doctor Who and other things. But I agree. And I actually think it adds a colonialist, like... <laughs> interpretation or structure to Doctor Who, which is definitely there as well. Um, But yeah, no, I I agree with you. And I think a lot of people who haven't seen the movie yet but are hearing this detail about um, Fastos um, (laughs) lamenting how he has, like, caused 
the <laughs> atrocity at Hiroshima, you know, a like a queer black man. It's funny because, like, I think in con- the context of the movie, it just feels like another thing that is just, like, slapped on. This movie makes some choices. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a cautionary tale to be had here about how Marvel needs to handle the X-Men and concepts like mutants going forward. Because I think, I think trying to introduce all of these characters, introduce the, con- the very concept behind them... And then have a big third act battle scene involving the potential destruction of Earth is is too much for this film. I think if Marvel were really serious about the importance of the Eternals, these are characters that would have been seeded at the very least in, in post credit scenes in other films for a while. And I think that is how they're going to have to bring, like, characters like the Fantastic Four or the concept of of mutants uh, into the MCU in the future. Because we see here that if the first MCU X-Men film is introducing a half a dozen characters or more and also explaining that, yeah, mutants have always kind of been here in the background and there's been prejudice, it's just not something that's talked about in polite society, it's going to be a disaster. I have to wonder how much faith they really have in this concept going forward if this is just such a kitchen sink thing with like how they influenced humanity, the whole cosmology that they're introducing here. I don't know. I just, uh, I have a bad feeling. I think this movie is a victim of timing in some ways because I know that, you know, it was, I'm yeah, it was in development before Disney plus really got launched and like running and I'm really curious if, you know, what this would have looked like if it were a Disney Plus series. Yes. And, like, each episode was, like, from a different one of the Eternals' points of view. And then it all culminates at the end. I think that could have been really, really cool. And I think maybe if this had either Disney Plus had launched earlier or this movie had come later, um, maybe they would have made that choice. The Eternals as a secret history of the MCU Disney Plus mm. series suddenly sounds a lot more palatable. Let's talk about who the uh, who the standout characters in this are for everybody. You know who I really liked, and it surprised me? Not because I don't like this actor, um, but I don't know. It's probably, I really enjoyed Thena. It, see, it seems like kind of a role that, you know, if you get a big-name actress for, that it's just kind of an easy paycheck. I did not really feel that way about Angelina Jolie. I thought it was... She is, like, simultaneously sagacious and childlike. I was just excited Um, to see her. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and there's that, too. Like, I'm not upset about seeing Angelina Jolie. It's been so long. I know she's made movies, but I haven't watched a lot of the recent ones. I really like Gilgamesh. I wish he had had a little bit more screen time. I thought the the Gilgamesh-Thena relationship was really interesting because... I don't think it was, you know, played as romantic. Um, I think that was something I liked about this movie, too. Like, obviously, there was a romance um, that was central and I think was not... I wasn't really sold on. I didn't think the two actors had a lot of chemistry. Or, yeah. Um, But, like, there are lots of different kinds of relationships. I was kind of like... I didn't really buy the Sprite is in love with Icarus thing, either. I was kind of annoyed by that twist because I really liked that character. Um, And I think they kind of... A lot of these characters were doing things different than... They were felt different to me than other characters I've seen in superhero or genre movies before. And the Sprite character 
didn't. <laughs> We've seen that kind of character in lots of different places before. Um, you know, the most obvious example being um, an interview with the vampire, and I think it's done better there. Um, so I think it would have been cool to see that character go in a different direction. I don't know. I guess I liked a lot of them. I liked Gilgamesh. Um, I did like, I liked Kingo. Um, he brought so much energy into, into the movie. I actually liked Icarus a lot more than I thought I was going to. I really was interested that they let him or that he made the choice he did in the final act. Cause I do think it was like a culmination of that tension you were talking about Alec before between like ideology and like the more like personal and the fact that he really we see how much he believes in this mission and in this purpose ultimately he can't um you know fulfill it because he cares about this person so much and I wasn't expecting him to make that choice that really made me like the movie a lot more the standout performances for me at least were I, I thought Brian Tyree Henry was terrific um, and, and Fastos is an interesting character. He's also one of the, one of the ones in this movie who was actually not created by Jack Kirby. He's kind of like a second wave eternal. He was created by, uh, I think Peter Gillis and Sal Buscema in the eighties. I really enjoyed whenever he was on screen. Don Lee was just terrific as Gilgamesh. Uh, another character that I think is just like woefully underserved here. And your point's well taken about Sprite, but I did think Lee McHugh brought, like, like real range to that performance. She did a very good job. Like, yeah. probably more range than anybody else in the film. Mm. Uh, and, and I kind of did appreciate and feel her desperation, even though, like, perhaps, like, the actual story beats of her arc... Uh, you know, might not have been the most well-defined. There's stuff here, and, and once again, I, I, I keep thinking now about what you said about turning this into a Disney Plus series and how much... They all have their own episodes? Yeah, <laughs> like, like there's, there's multiple seasons of stuff to work with here, but, like, that final act felt like something that should have been the culmination of a whole phase of Marvel movies, mm -hmm. and, and it just kind of... Uh, I would have loved to see the Fastest episode because I would have liked to see how... Or you could have tried to do this in the movie. I liked his character a lot, but I feel like I wish he, like I wish he had more screen time because in the end we see how th there's this thing that comes up where he's like, well, it's implied that he's always kind of like not liked Icarus, but like they've never hinted at that before. Like I get why you wouldn't like Icarus. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, sure. He is very arrogant and is just like making unilateral decisions left and right. Yeah, like to see to see Fastos like bringing these different kinds of technology to humanity over the course of his, his time there and seeing him like watching him watch how people integrate that in both good and bad ways um, would have been very cool. I want to share my complaint about the ending. Oh yes. Yes. More complaints. Mike, please. Yes. Finally. So, yeah. Another complaint. So I don't, I mean like I, <laughs> I think I'm in the middle ground between Katie and Mike in that I like the movie, but I think it's bad. Um, but the thing that, really annoyed me in hindsight is a lot of the emergence makes absolutely no sense. I think the Celestials look cool as hell. I love that they're the size of like 50 skyscrapers mm. put together. But at the end of the movie, it does not feel like a victory just to freeze this thing. We saw in, in, in Erisham's helpful little tutorial that like after the Celestial is fully grown, it bursts through the core of the planet. Mm. So by the time his head that... This celestial the planet would have already... Yeah, his head is, like, yeah. crowned. <laughs> it's a mm -hmm. used birthing terminology. Like, we are so 
screwed. You cannot have a godlike being emerge from the core of the planet, punch through the mantle, <laughs> and then crack the crust without massive, devastating <laughs> geological implications. Okay, also... That everybody on Earth is dead of the moment that a finger makes it through that the, the crust. Yeah, I would just like to say that I don't think this is a good movie. I think we're probably closer in our <laughs> estimation of it. It obviously is there for the visual impact, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it seems I feel like it's there so that in a future MCU movie, someone can like start like standing on the head or something, and then you zoom out, and it's just like a character on on the head, and it's just like visually, it's head. very cool. I mean, I approve of that. I'm just saying, logically, um, we would all be dead. And also, she no, froze the true. thing, and like, I'll tell you what, it's a good thing the globe's not going to warm anytime soon, because that could be devastating yeah. for like, a Like, is, like, what's the logistics here? <laughs> we haven't seen the last of that Celestial, uh, just mm. based on stuff from the comics. I could see them uh, making use of, uh, of that shell of a Celestial uh, in various ways in future films. They did it in, in Nowhere. Yes, that's true. We have already seen in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies with Nowhere that uh, Celestials make useful uh, cities, (laughs) Uh, vessels. Uh, You can do a lot with the inside of a Celestial. And now there's one on Earth. So uh, somebody or somebody's is going to make use of that in the MCU phase four, five, six and going forward. Let's talk about these post credit scenes, but start with the first one. And Katie, I'm letting you take the lead on this simply because uh, as, as, our, as our resident Harry Styles fan, uh, you know, this, this was some Katie bait. It was. I'm still very upset that I was spoiled for it. Most of my reaction here was in relation to the casting because I don't know as much about the comic book character. I mean, we just see Harry Styles as as arrows for like a hot second. Um, <laughs> and I was very distracted by the CGI. It of, is a hot second. A hot second. Um, by the CGI of Pip that I think it was just a lot. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to hear from you, Mike, about what this character represents. Eros is another like kind of second generation, you know, like non Kirby Eternals related non. character, you know. Um, uh, created by Jim Starlin, I believe, who created Thanos. Um, so there's a character with like serious pedigree, and this is where we start getting into the planet Titan. And you know, why was Thanos the way he is? You know, Thanos looks like Thanos, and Eros is hot, and, and, and Eros looks like Harry Styles. You know, so we get into like weird things about you know um, which etern- which branches of Eternals were kind of allowed to. Uh, reproduce and which aren't so there's there's stuff here and pairing him with pip the troll who's another jim starlin creation um both of these things nod very heavily to elements of the infinity gauntlet comic book story that didn't make it to the screen for uh you know for infinity war and endgame um, I can see how once James Gunn has finished telling his Guardian story that members of the Eternals and then Star Fox and Pip the Troll, like could potentially you could see these elements of the cosmic MCU joining up in future projects, you know. Um, but I do especially love the fact that for 
some of these cosmic MCU roles, like that the idea that they would look to somebody with the kind of like genuine old school pop star energy that Harry Styles has mm-hmm. is just amazing to me. You know, it's like if if they would have made like uh, if the MCU existed in the 70s or 80s and you were trying to cast Adam Warlock, like you'd be like, get David Bowie for that. You know what I mean? And I feel like Harry Styles as Eros is almost like, you know, is kind of like mining that same fantasy vein there. And I I appreciate that. Yeah, I think there's already a lot of crossover between, um, you know, things like the MCU fandom and the Harry Styles fandom or the BTS fandom. But it was really interesting. It's interesting to see those elements. Like it feels like Marvel is like really going after those demographics unless like the casting of Harry Styles feels like a more um, substantial way. But the fact that there was both a BTS reference and a BTS song in this movie is interesting to me. (laughs) Um, so yeah, and I mean, I wrote an article about this available to read on denofgeek.com about the ways that um, Marvel has kind of been like courting K-culture and also how like Korea has also been trying to attract like um, Marvel investment over the, you know, especially in the last five years. Um, but, you know, having Don Lee in this movie as well, who is a Korean actor who's probably best known for his role in Train to Busan before this, which a lot of um, American audiences I think have seen. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to see how that, that aspect of the MCU's like global strategy and identity is, is developing. Did either of these characters mean anything to either of you? If this had not been leaked, then I wouldn't have known who this person was, which I'm, would have been, yeah, it would have been a fun experience to find out in that way. Um, but no. (laughs) I mean, I also read the spoilers, but I must've missed the part about Pip the Troll. So, like, when they said, uh, when somebody entered the bridge, I'm like, here he comes. Here's pop superstar Harry Style. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, this little freak comes like, on. Oh. <laughs> like, I thought it was on awesome. Like, interesting. They they cast Harry Styles, yeah, but they're not using, like. freak boy. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> and then the second post credit scene, uh, where Dane is uh, almost given something to do, uh, this features Dane, you know, he had mentioned earlier in the film that his family history is quote-unquote complicated, I believe is the word he used, right? Um, And here we get an indication of why that might be, where he's kind of, uh, he opens this case, and inside is a black sword, which is literally named the Ebony Blade, and the Ebony Blade is what is wielded by the Black Knight, who is a Marvel character with quite a history of his own. He's another potential Avenger alongside, uh, alongside Cersei. And what's interesting about the Black Knight and the Ebony Blade in particular, it's kind of like the opposite of Mjolnir, right? Where like Mjolnir, you have to be like worthy to wield it. The Ebony Blade gets more powerful the worse off you are. You know, so the anger... No, I was so excited to see Jon Snow just, like, smiling. Yeah. Like... (laughs) Not in the cards for this guy. (laughs) Yeah, like, like the Black Knight does not have an easy future ahead of him. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't really say that things are going to be happy for Dane Whitman going forward because the Ebony Blade feeds off of your anxiety and your anger and your fears, you know, and and is a heroic character, for the most part, you know, who's going to use this to do good in the world. But the real kicker of that scene 
is one single line of dialogue from a mysterious voice, which I believe says, are you sure you're ready for that, Mr. Whitman? Um, who do we think is speaking there? You told me to listen closely, so I listened closely, and I still have no idea. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind, and I don't know why this is, I, I didn't prime it for anything, but I just thought Mahershala Ali as Blade. Um, maybe I was thinking of Blade because there's a sword and swords have blades, and it kind of vaguely sounded like Mahershala Ali, uh, but now I'm not so sure. I like, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. My first thought was Jonathan Majors as some version of Kang. I like that theory as well. There is some merit, I guess, to the Mahershala Ali thing, even though it seems like the only things that the Black Knight and Blade would have in common is a, you know, fondness for edged weapons. Don't forget, it's been over two years since Mahershala was cast and announced as Blade. We're not going to see a Blade movie until 2023 at this rate. The, I, I do really like your Jonathan Majors theory, uh, because... Kang would very much be the kind of character who could uh, untangle the complicated lineage of the Whitman family history. It would be kind of neat to see if they'd be willing to play Kang as like, you know, somebody who comes in as like, I'm going to teach you all about this and like kind of takes him under his wing. And then and then Dane has to be kind of redeemed by more heroic figures because he's fallen in with a bad crowd. Uh, I do really like that idea because because Kang could definitely see his past and, and show it to him. The way that the voice sounded like it wasn't in the room, like it didn't sound to me like it was someone who entered the office and was talking to him like a normal human. Yes. I don't think it was meant to be. I think it was yeah. from like beyond. That brings me to another possibility, which is that this is the disembodied voice of a previous Black Knight. Uh, because in the comics, Dane is sometimes advised by, like, uh, you know, a ghostly ancestor, uh, you know, or a previous wielder of the blade. Of, of all the theories I've seen kind of batted around at the moment, uh, Katie, I think I like yours the best. I'm logging off. Winner. <laughs> Done with this shit. <laughs> well, now I've convinced myself that I like um, the Blade Theory better. And that is it for another episode of Marvel Standom. Thanks for watching, everybody. Make sure you hit that follow and subscribe button. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at Marvel Standom. Make sure you are also following our web home of Den of Geek. We are at Den of Geek and at Den of Geek US. You can read all our Marvel coverage at denofgeek.com slash Marvel. And if you're tired of seeing my face, well, you can subscribe to us on Spotify too. We'll be back soon with everything the MCU has to offer. Spider-Man No Way Home is coming. Hawkeye is coming. Kirsten Howard is coming back. Don't worry. We'll see you soon. Thanks for watching.